Amen. We're going to talk about Mondays today uh, in the story of Elijah. Uh, title this message, The Journey Through Monday. Uh, how many people have ever just had one of those days? All right, sometimes those days last longer than a day, right? It could be a week. One of those days could be a season. It could be a month. It could be a whole span of years in your life that it just feels like it's just been one of those days. And often, I think those days are on Mondays. And Monday seems to be that, that day of the week that we're just like, oh my gosh. Uh, but you know, even in the Christian life, uh, we can have Mondays in a spiritual sense. We can have those seasons or those days or those moments, those times in our life where we feel like, man, why am I here? What's the point? Uh, I feel like giving up. I feel like giving in. Temptation comes. You just want to quit. You want to throw in the towel. Maybe it's that you've been trying to reach their family members. Maybe you are the only one Christian in your family, and you have just been trying to hold the fort down, and you get to that point, point, you're like, man, I don't even know why I try anymore with these people. Maybe it could be a coworker or a friend. Or maybe it's just, in general, uh, you feel like you should have been further along than you are right now, that God should have blessed you, that things should have worked out differently, or maybe you've been praying for a marriage or a situation or circumstance uh, in your family life or your marriage life or with your kids, and you feel like, man, God, I just feel like giving up. It's it's like nothing works. And so we're going to talk about today, how do we get through those Mondays? Scripture reminds us that we're not to allow sin to separate us from God, that we're to gain strength in His grace, that we are to hear God beyond the hype of all the religion uh, that we could muster up, and that it's not always about us. And so I want to look today at the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. And uh, his story uh, resonates very much with me. And I think about him and going through this Monday. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. And uh, let's look at this. Uh, And it says, And now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the juniper tree, or maybe yours says the broom tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a juniper tree. What has just happened? This is a moment of despondence. Uh, in Elijah's life. What does that mean? I looked it up. It's despair, depression, discouragement, but despondent means low spirits from a loss of hope or a loss of courage. Uh, Elijah is dejected. He is depressed. Why? Because just a day or two ago, this dude, I mean, come on, he's Elijah. For three years, God has supernaturally provided for him by some ravens, some bread every morning, every night. He goes to a widow's house. God miraculously provides oil and water and, and bread every day for these years. And now three years in, God has been supernaturally uh, speaking to him. And he has stood against an evil king and an evil queen. And he meets 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah on this mountain, stands before the king. And they are taunting and, and terrorizing and the whole nation is going to hell. And he says, no, I'm standing alone. God is God. He's alive. Yahweh is my God. And he begins to pray. And in a moment, 
Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the altar. The prophets are killed. And he stands at the top of the mountain and he prays seven times, God, send the rain. And the rain comes and the whole nation uh, sees the glory of God. And those in the crowd on that mountain say, yes, the Lord is God. This is a Super Bowl moment. This is the World Series of all prophets. This guy is like, hallelujah, revival comes to the nation. We have won. It's finished. I'm done. I can retire with my, you know, my pension and re- go sit by the ocean because it is finished. Hallelujah. Everybody sees God is God. So he goes back home, back to Jezreel, where Ahab is. He goes back there to that town thinking... Here we are. I can go back to the capital city. I can go back to the king's court. Everybody knows God is God. It's great. And what happens? One wicked lady scares this dude half to death, and he flees for his life. How in the world does that happen? Think about it. Who's going to mess with the guy that just called fire down from heaven? I mean, he just killed 450 dudes with the sword called down fire from heaven. And yet he goes and a lady, one lady, scares him off. Now, this was not any ordinary lady. This is Jezebel. She's a wicked lady, very, very powerful. Uh, I mean, a horrible person. And, and she has her fingers in every place. And so she threatens him. She says, if, if I see you in this town tomorrow, you're dead. I'm going to make you do to you what you just did to all of them. And so, man, in that moment, you think, well, it didn't work. God, it didn't work, and I just have to think it was a Monday. I don't know what day it was, but it just had to have been a Monday because it was just like Sunday night revival come. Lord is here in this place, and then Monday morning. Oh, my gosh, I feel alone. Where's God at? God was just here on Sunday night. I just felt God. Fire came down. Holy Spirit baptized me. I'm all great. Man, I could take on the world, and then you go to your work on Monday morning, and you're just like, here we are again. Anybody ever been there before? You know, uh, I can really resonate. This chapter has really spoke to me as being a pastor for years, and, uh, and it's preached often to pastors. And so I read, I'm going to preach to myself today because uh, there's this thing called the Monday blues for a pastor. Uh, that, uh, you know, you put, uh, as a pastor, you know, I've been in ministry 10 plus, 11 years now, and over the years from multiple states, multiple churches, I just can tell you, uh, from experience and from working with other pastors, you can put eight plus hours into a sermon preparation. You can pray hours that week and go through your counselings and go through your appointments and go through that and put all your spiritual energy and all of your passion and your blood, sweat, and tears into that message. And for eight hours, you've prepped and practiced. And on Saturday night, you're praying for the service. You get here early on uh, Sunday morning. You pray for an hour on the altar for the day to come. And then you find out half of your church members are going to be gone. And you come in here and you sing the worship and you're ready for God to move. And then half the people just stand there and stare at the worship team. And then you, you go through that moment and you say, okay, yeah, but souls hang in the balance, God. And you can put all of your effort and energy to that message and then people start falling asleep. Uh, and then some people start leaving during the altar call. You're not even done giving the altar call yet and people are already going out the back door. Lord, help us. Uh, and then you preach and then you see just a couple people maybe respond or lift up their hand and you get in your car and you think, Lord, what was that all for? And you get on Monday morning and then someone posts on Facebook or social media, don't you just miss the good old days of church? 
don't you just miss when Pastor so-and-so just spoke that wonderful message? Or don't you just miss how it used to be back in the day when we sung those good old songs and blah, blah, blah. And you get in, you just sit in your car before you come in and you just think, Lord, temptation comes in. You think, do I give up? Do I give in? Or I do it all over again. Uh, You have to know how to get through your Mondays. I don't care if you're a pastor or not. Every day is going to come. That devil wants you there. He wants you feeling alone. He wants you feeling isolated. He wants you to give up. He wants you to give in to temptation. He wants you to quit this Christian life. He wants you to be scared of things you're not supposed to be scared about. He wants you to be intimidated about things you're not supposed to be intimidated about, whether it's that oppression, that loneliness, that loss, that regret, that unforgiveness, that problem in your family. The devil wants you to stop. He wants you to stop doing God's plan for your life. He wants you to give up praying for your family and give up on that marriage and give up on that coworker and just back off because this is his territory, so he thinks. You can have that great victory on one day, and there are times when the best of us lose perspective. I so love this passage in James 5, 17 because it reminds me, James says that Elijah was a man just like me, of like passions. He was human. He can stand against 850 prophets one day and he flees from one woman the next. And there are times when the best of us are going to lose this perspective that we get our eyes off of God and onto man. We start feeling these feelings of dejection and depression. We don't even know why sometimes. It's like, God, how can I come to church and feel so good on Sunday and then I get to Monday, Tuesday and I feel like giving up? And Spurgeon says, he says, this passage right here in 1 Kings 19 is to show us that Elijah was not strong by his own nature, but he was only strong in the strength given to him by God. You and me are the same. We're people. I'm a person. Pastors are people too, by the way, if you didn't know that. We're all people. We all feel like giving up some days. We all feel like giving in some days. Even Elijah, the dude who called fire down from heaven, Come on now. If I called fire down from heaven, I'd be getting a pay raise in this place. I mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, you would feel like I am the best Christian in the whole world, right? And yet Elijah calls down fire from heaven and feels like giving up. We're people. Even Elijah is people. And the strength that he had was not in himself, but in God. So maybe you feel despondent today. Maybe you feel a a loss of hope or a loss of courage. How do you go through those Mondays? Let's talk about how Elijah gets to this Monday. Number one, uh, I'll give you four things here. Number one, he had to learn to depend on him, depend on God. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5, look at this. So he lays down, he sleeps under this tree, right? And behold, there was an angel touching him. I kind of think he had like a staff and he was like poking him. That's what I, I picture. He's poking him, in my opinion. And he says to him, arise and eat. And Elijah kind of looks, and I think he's groggy, looks up, and he sees right there at his head some bread baked on cakes and some hot stones. And he says, a jar of water, and he ate and he drank, and he turns over. He goes back to sleep again. Isn't that sometimes how God, on a Monday, he's poking you? Hey, I want to talk to you. Hey, I got something for you. And you're just like, I don't know, God, I don't care. Just move, leave me alone. Yeah, I just want to go back to sleep. You ever, ever been like that? Maybe it's even your spouse or somebody in your family. Just leave me alone. I just want to sleep. I want my nap Right now, if you do not leave this room, someone is going to be hurt. You just, right now. And so he, he, he rolls back over, falls asleep again. 
And the Lord comes with an angel a second time, touches him, he says, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. I am so encouraged about a God who pursues us in our weakness. In that very moment, Elijah, he has run from the northern part of Israel. In a 24-hour period, this guy doesn't just casually leave his calling. He runs 24 hours across the entire country from north to south. He goes to the most southern town of Judah. This is not a casual, I may or may not want to be a Christian anymore, or I may want to give up, I'm thinking about it. No, this guy gets to the border of Judah. He leaves his servant there, and he says, don't follow me. And then he goes a day's journey into the middle of nowhere. Why? To die. He takes no food with him, no water with him, no provision. He says, God, I am done. I quit. You didn't save my kid like you were supposed to. You didn't save my marriage like you were supposed to. You didn't give me that job you said you were going to give me. God, I don't feel good anymore. I don't like this anymore. And so, God, everything I tried has not worked. So I leave it here. And even the people who can help me, I'm leaving the church behind. Church, don't follow me. Don't call me. Don't text me. Don't Facebook me. Leave me alone. I'm going out of here. And he leaves God on purpose. He leaves his calling. He leaves his friends. I'm going to die. But Lord, thank the Lord for his mercy and his grace. When God could have rebuked him and God could have said, fine, I'm done with you. You want to leave me? I'll leave you. Fine, you're done with your calling? I'll find somebody else. But God pursued him in grace. Doesn't rebuke him. Doesn't slander him. He comes to him and says, Elijah, I care about you as a whole person, dude. You've neglected your physical self. You know when you get depressed, you start neglecting your physical body. You stop eating. You stop sleeping right. You stay up all night. You watch Lifetime movies, and you get more depressed, by the way. Uh, (laughs) I'm just telling you how it is. Uh, And you you start eating bad. You start all this. And so Elijah stopped caring about himself. He stopped caring about other people, and he gets to that place that he's just down and out. And God comes over there and he says, Elijah, I'm going to feed you physically. And I think, the first, I think the first feeding was for his physical body. And he gives him food. And God was showing him, I'm concerned about you as a person. I'm concerned about your physical well-being. But then Elijah turns back, goes to sleep. He comes back again and God says, now, Elijah, I want to take you somewhere. I want to take you from this place. Don't you know God does not want you to live in depression? God does not want you to live in loss of hopelessness. He does not want you to live in a loss of courage and to feel like you can't do anything with Him. And He doesn't want you to leave the church behind. He doesn't want you to be lost in a wilderness without Him. And so He pursues Elijah. He says, Elijah, I've got a journey for you. I've got somewhere I want to take you deeper into my presence. And you can't make it there by your own strength. Don't you know you can't get closer to God on your own? The Bible says no man can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. There's a deep place God wanted to get Elijah. A secret place in his spirit. The place that Elijah most desperately needed to get. Elijah had sinned. He had failed to trust in God. This guy who had been trusting God for years, who had relied on God for years. I don't care if you've been in church for 60 years and you know the Bible by heart. We can all get to a bitter place. We can all get to a place of desperation where we forget that God is the one who has to feed us, that God is the one that we have to rely on our strength. And so he gets to that place, and God gives him physical nourishment, and then God gives him spiritual nourishment. In that moment, heavenly bread came down for Elijah. 
that heavenly water came down from Elijah. What does that symbolize? This bread that this angel baked, this water that this angel gave. That is the bread, the bread of life, the manna from heaven. That symbolizes the word of God. That living water that came straight from heaven. That is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. That when you and I get to a place of desperation, of despondency, where we lost courage and lost hope and we're down and out, we leave the church behind. We want to get alone. We don't want nobody to talk to us. We just want to sleep life away. God is pursuing uh, us today. God is a pursuing God. And he says what you need, not only to take care of your physical self, but your spiritual well-being. I have fresh bread for you. I have living water for you. Because if you really want to get to the deep places with me, you've got to learn to partake of what I've given. I think in that moment... Elijah begins to partake of the Holy Spirit. He begins to partake of the Word of God, that heavenly bread, that living water. And it's important to note, too, that where Elijah finds himself is the same place that God took Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He is in the very wilderness where Israel has had to come out of Egypt. They failed to accept their call to be the people of God. And they've gone out leaving God's plan. And God, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, says that he humbled them to hunger for the things of God. He humbled them to hunger that they would learn that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Elijah was not just there to eat physical food, but he was there to learn again that, Elijah, you have got to depend on me. Church, you and I today... You're not going to make this Christian life on your own strength, on your own knowledge, on your own ability. The Lord knows I fall all the time, every day, falter. God, help me, help me, help me that to do what you've called me to do and whatever God has called you to do. You can't do it by your own charisma, by your own ability, just by being a good person or a good man or a good woman, a moral character or a great mom. You have got to partake of the Word of God that's going to give you the food that God has for you to get to the journey that He's got planned for your life. He's got the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So number one, He had to learn to get beyond His weakness and depend on God. And the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 8, that He arose and He ate and He drank. And guess this, He, uh, watch this, He says, It went in the strength of that food, how long? 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Maybe today your failures like Elijah have stayed with you longer than your victories. Maybe today you're not, you're not even at the place of desiring to get closer to God. You're just so uh, consumed by life's problems or your own situations. And that hunger, that yearning to get closer uh, has even, isn't even there anymore. But God wants to take you deeper today. Thank God for that. Partake of the word. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. God pursued him, and he taught him, number one, to depend on the word of God, take care of yourself physically and spiritually. Number two, he would draw, drawing, drawing Elijah near. Number two, draw near. So God sends Elijah to Mount Horeb. That's called also Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. This is the very mountain where God descended on, uh, on this mountain with smoke and fire and uh, earth shaking and just power and awe when he gave the Ten Commandments, right? So little does Elijah know the journey that he's on, but Elijah 
left the will of God, left the journey of God, left his pulpit ministry, left his prophetic office, left the church behind his servant. And he goes and he says, I'm done. God draws him near and he says, Elijah, you've got to learn to depend on me. I'll feed you with the food that you need. I'll give you the drink you need, the word and the Holy Spirit. So draw with me, Elijah. So he goes on the strength of what God has given, not what he had, but on the strength of what God has given. You'll be surprised how far you can get with the word of God in life. You'll be surprised you might make it 40 days and 40 nights on spiritual food that you couldn't make it nowhere on your own strength. And he says, spiritually, Elijah would go 40 days and 40 nights. It was supernatural strength that God given him. Now, that's important to think about that. There are things in this life you cannot go through. You cannot get to without the supernatural food that God has to provide for us. So he goes 40 days and 40 nights, and he ends up, I don't even know that he knew where he was going. I think God would draw him. And he'd get to the mountain of God. This is Mount Sinai, a place of meeting, a meeting place with God, a secret place, a holy place with God. Don't you know that God is drawing us near? In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, look, it says, Then he came to a cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of God came to him, and he said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? In that moment, wouldn't you just say, well, well you're the one that took me here. You're the one that took me here. But he, does, he, doesn't, he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel, forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left. Don't you just see the humility there? And they seek my life to take it away. Elijah finds himself alone in the middle of the night, and the word of the Lord, I think this was Jesus Christ. It says the word came to him. I think Jesus came to him. And he began to speak with Elijah in this secret place. And what does he do? He begins to reveal Elijah's own heart to himself. Don't you know you learn more about yourself in prayer, I think, than anywhere else? I think as you read the Word and you're drawing, uh, you're depending upon the Word. And then now, I think Elijah finds himself in his prayer closet, like you and me. That we get to a bad place and God comes and says, just read my word, just read my word, just get into the word and, and you'll feel better, you'll feel good, you'll see perspective. And so you, I don't know, God, I'm shrugging and all, can I just go back to sleep? No, get up, get up, partake of my word, open that Bible, open that Bible app, whatever it may be, and just read something. I'm going to begin to speak to you, I'm going to begin to draw you and say, okay, fine, God, I read it. And then you begin to read. And then you just feel, okay, I guess I'll go pray. And you go to your prayer closet and then God begins to speak. God begins to speak in your most desperate, desolate times. You're despondent. You're in a wilderness. You're not in a great place, but yet God is pursuing you. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? Has God ever done that in your life where you were down and out, but God is drawing you? He's so gracious. He's so merciful. He could have rebuked us. He could have left us alone. But he says, no, I'm drawing you in. And he takes us to that prayer closet. And there Elijah comes face to face with himself. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What does that mean? He's not really asking, why are you here? Because obviously God put him there. He's saying, why are you at this place in your life? Why are you depressed? You ever ask yourself that? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I angry? I don't even know why I'm angry. I'm yelling at my spouse. Why am I angry? I don't know. I just feel like being angry. You know what I'm talking about? You, sometimes you just feel like being angry. It doesn't matter what anybody says. I want to be angry. I want to be sad. Just leave me alone. Let me just be, okay? Stop talking to me about it. Drop trying to fix me. Just let me alone. How many people have had that conversation with your spouse before, right? Just, I just don't want anyone around me right now. Can you just give me some space? I'm going on a walk. Leave me alone, all right? We all get there. We all people, right? Anybody else people in this room? Yeah. Amen. So we get to that place, and, and God says, Elijah, why are you like this? What are you doing here, 
Why are, you, why are you feeling this way? Why are you acting this way? What's going on in your heart? And Elijah begins to confess some things. just begins to come out. You know, God's the best psychologist. You can lay on his couch any day for free, by the way. Uh, you ain't going to pay somebody $700 an hour. He just begins to blurt it all out. God, it's because it's this. It's because of this. And it's because of that. You know that despair only sees the negative. He's in a bad place. God, I'm totally alone. Never mind, he just learned in the next, last chapter there was a hundred prophets hiding in a cave. He knew he wasn't alone, but he felt alone. God, that church doesn't care about me. Those people don't like me. You sure? Maybe you just feel that way. Maybe they have tried to call you. You weren't there. Or maybe they have done these things, but you didn't answer. His feelings begin to outweigh his facts because despair only sees the negative. And then here you go, self-righteousness. It says, I deserve better. He begins to say, God, I did all this stuff. I did all this effort. I I tried all these things. I I tried to grow that small group, but nobody came. God, I tried to reach my spouse, but they never would go to church. God, I I tried to reach those coworkers, but they just made fun of me. God, everything I try doesn't ever work, and nobody likes it. He begins to build himself up in his pride. It's everybody else's fault. They're the ones that got me to this place. And then blame only makes you bitter. Blame only makes you bitter. You just begin to, it's all them, nothing to do with me. They're the reason I'm in this desert. They're the reason I'm depressed. So-and-so stabbed me in the back. My spouse left me. They cheated on me. They did this. They're bad. They're this. And that's why I'm here. Thanks for asking God. If you would have just showed up and done your part, if you would have just done this, then I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. And don't you know God just sits there and he takes it? He could have called down fire on us, but he didn't. Right? Come on, people. Y'all, are y'all real with me this morning? He says... Elijah, I want you to get beyond your excuses. He draws him beyond his weakness, and now he's drawing him beyond his excuses. Maybe you've gotten in a place today where you can't see all the facts. Maybe you don't feel like you deserve what you've been given. Maybe other people's failures have made you bitter. I'll tell you something, people will wear you out. But there are no excuses for a lack of faith. People will wear you out, but they are no excuse for a lack of faith. So number one, he says, depend on the word, Elijah. Number two, he says, draw near in prayer, Elijah. And in your prayer closets, I challenge you to be honest with God, to examine yourself and ask yourself the same question. Why am I here? Why do I feel this way today? Why am I going through this? And so then he Depends on God. He draws near in prayer, and then he gets to a deeper knowledge of the Spirit. Number three. First Kings chapter 19, verse 11, he says, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great strong wind was running the mountains and breaking in pieces. And the rocks were falling before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. Literally, it says, a soft murmur. Literally a soft murmur. Elijah in the back of the cave, he hears it and he wraps his face with a mantle and he goes out and he stands at the entrance of the cave and behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel, forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. They seek to kill my life and take it from me. Elijah finds himself, I believe, in the very cliff 
where Moses was hiding from the Lord, where God put Moses and his presence walked by. And Elijah sees in that moment the wind and the fire and the earthquake come. And he sees it all. And this is what happened years ago with Moses. This is what Moses saw and the children of Israel saw the Ten Commandments. And man, God is an awesome God. He's a God to be feared. I think in some part, God was reminding Elijah, I called fire down before, I can call fire down again. I am God. You should fear me more than any wicked person in this world. You should fear me over any situation in this world that I am still God. I'm still God in your situations, whether you feel like it or not. Whether you sense him or not. Whether you're in the wilderness or you're on top of Mount Carmel in your good days or you're in your bad days in the lowest times, God is still God. So God meets him in his barren places. He draws him deeper into the word. He draws him near in prayer. And then God begins to reveal himself again to Elijah. But here's the catch. God wasn't in the wind. He sees the wind come and and a tornado comes, but he doesn't feel the presence of God. He didn't sense God. He sees the the fire comes like it did with Moses and like I saw with those pastors way back when and how I've seen pastors before. Maybe it was that service that one time when you were a kid, you had the fire coming. Maybe the fire is trying to come in your life again. But you know what? I don't feel it. I don't sense it. I don't feel God like I used to. I don't sense God like I used to or like I've seen so-and-so have the fire or I've seen when I was a child in that youth rally or, or that Pentecost service, man, when I was in the altar. I don't. I don't feel it. And then all of it comes, and the earthquake comes, the shaking, and man, I've shaken before God, and I've trembled before God before, but you know, I don't feel it anymore. I don't sense God in this anymore. And then he hears a murmur. Elijah, where are you? Charlie Brown's you know, teacher's talking, right? He's in the back of the cave, because no doubt he's fearing God again. He's way back here at the back of the cave, and God's just kind of reminded him, hey, dude, I'm still awesome. You should trust me. And he hears all this go on. He's back there in fear, reminding how, remembering how awesome God really is, that God can do whatever he wants. But then he hears a soft breeze, a gentle whisper, a murmur. But he can't distinguish it. So what does he got to do? He puts on the reverence and the respect of God. He comes back out, probably fearfully again. And at the edge of the cave... God's voice becomes clear. He begins to distinguish what he's saying. He's like, Elijah, dude, why are you here? Elijah, why are you here? Why are you here? God begins to gently correct him and restore him and remind him of who God is and who he is. And to bring him to a deeper place, a place of intimacy. You know, sometimes we can only look for God in the extravagant. Sometimes we can only look for God in this amazing supernatural encounters. Elijah, no doubt, had seen God miraculously providing water and oil and fire. And maybe sometimes we've gotten used to that. Maybe that's the only way we've experienced God in our past. It's been in a revival service where God came down or a mighty moment when a pastor was preaching fiery or it was in a certain types of songs we heard when we were children. We experienced God that way. Uh, But let me tell you something. There's a deeper place that God was taking Elijah. And sometimes, even though we've only looked for God in the extraordinary, and we wonder, why don't I feel him? How come God's not moving like he once did in my life and then in this church? And and we say, well, God, where are you on my Mondays? God, you showed up last Sunday night, but I don't feel you here on Monday. God, I felt you in the service and the worship on Mondays, but I don't feel you in my Mondays. 
the season we're in, whether it be my family or the church or my own life just this week, I think sometimes we're conditioned to a formula to experience God. It's as if I don't hear the, if I don't see the fire and if I don't see the earthquake, if I don't see all those things, I don't feel God. And maybe it's because that's how you've met him or it's through that worship or that style of preaching. Some people like fiery preaching. Some people like sloth teaching. Some people like old songs. Some people like new songs. Some people like to chase revivals. But let me tell you, God is no more in Amazing Grace, which is a wonderful song, than the latest song to come out on the radio. Because even if that song would never be sung again, which is a wonderful hymn that's been the test of, of our century, Amazing Grace, if, God, if nobody ever sung Amazing Grace well, you know, again, God would still have Amazing Grace. It would still exist because God is not the song. God is God. And it's not about a fiery preacher. If you came up here and, and just dry, mundane, read the Word of God, it's not about the preacher. It's about the Word of God. Whether the preacher's fiery or not, it's still the Word of God. Jonathan Edwards, years ago in the Great Awakening, mundanely read a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. There was no worship, there was no altar call, there was no fog machines or lights or anything like that in an old, old little bitty church with wooden benches. He got up there and just began to read what he felt the Lord gave him prophetically. And people began to moan and to weep and to fall on their faces before God's tangible presence that descended in that place. Mundane wrote reading because it's not about the method or the methodology it's about who God really is. He's God beyond your preacher. He's God beyond your worship team. He's God beyond whatever kind of altar call we give. He's God on Sunday, and He's God on Monday. He doesn't change between how you felt Him on Sunday and how you feel Him on Monday. He's still God. And the problem is not God. The problem is me. I've been conditioned to say, if I don't feel the goosebumps, I don't feel God. If the preacher's not yelling, I don't feel God. If the altar call's not long and people aren't laid out in this place, I don't know that God is here. Maybe God didn't show up today like He did last time. I'm going to tell you something. God is in every service we meet together. He's in every prayer closet where a hungry person will find Him. He's on every street corner where every person who is lost and lonely and dying is waiting for an answer from heaven. God is still God. Every place, everywhere, every time. And if we could just get beyond the formula and realize some of the most powerful moments in your life may be alone. Some of the most powerful moments in my life with God have been by myself. In a sanctuary just like this one. Was in this corner right here not long ago that God gave me the vision for common ground service. In this very spot right here, God laid me out on the floor weeping for this community. It wasn't me. It was God. I had my own agenda that day, but God had something in mind. Nobody in the building but me and God. There's been moments in my life where God has done that multiple times. Just the Holy Spirit can come over you by yourself in your prayer closet. I didn't need a, a powerful evangelist. I didn't need hymns. I didn't need contemporary music. I didn't need a great sea of people flooding the altars with me. God is still God on Mondays. And if we could get to that deeper place that he was teaching Elijah to say, Elijah, get beyond your religiosity. We want results, we want power, we want justice, we want change for our problems. And sometimes God, yes, is fire, and sometimes God, yes, is wind, and sometimes God, yes, is shaking. But on Monday, He may be a gentle whisper. He may want to speak to you in the still quietness of that meeting you're going through, or on your drive to and from work. He wants to speak to you in the middle of an argument, perhaps, with your spouse and say, hey, I want to intervene right now, but you've got to let me. 
He may want to speak to you. Students, as you're on your way to school at your locker, He may want to speak to you with that gentle, still, small voice. And even if it's a small voice or flames of fire, it's still God. If you want to survive this Christian life, you're going to need a deeper place of intimacy with God that satisfies beyond the Sunday high and into your mundane Monday. I'm going to say that again because that's good. If you want to survive in this Christian life, you need a deeper place of intimacy with God that will satisfy you beyond the highs of Sunday into the mundane of Monday. So he gets to Elijah, number three, he says, Elijah, depend on the knowledge or deepen the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. So he told him, number one, depend on the word. Number two, he said, draw near in prayer. Number three, he would say, depend or deepen the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Get a deeper knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, he would say, depend on others. And I'll wrap it up with this. He says to Elijah, Elijah, son, I could spank your butt right now, but I'm not. That's kind of what I get out of this. He says, In fact, Elijah, I'm commanding you to leave this place. I don't want you to be depressed anymore. Elijah, you come to the Word. You've come to your prayer closet. Elijah, I'm teaching you about the depth, the intimacy of the Holy Spirit. Don't just go for the shock and awe now. Elijah, come to the deeper place of the Holy Spirit where I satisfy on your Mondays. And he says, now, Elijah, I also want you to go back. You left your servant at the edge of the border. Elijah, go back the way you came. Pick up your servant. Get back to work. I'm not done with you yet. There's a job to still be done. And here, guess what? Whether people responded to the flames of fire or not, I'm still God. You see, it wasn't about the results. It wasn't about whether or not the nation turned back to God and thousands of people got saved. It was about God showing His glory. And God is glorious if one sinner repents. And God is glorious if the whole city of Gina, Louisiana repents. It's the same glory. It's the same God. It's the same salvation message. It's the same salvation prayer. It's the same salvation altar call that one person comes to God. God would still come fire down from heaven. He's still God. The numbers make no difference. And so Elijah, stop focusing on the numbers. Stop focusing on the results. It's about me. Are you working for my glory or your own glory? Are you doing this to see results, Elijah? Are you doing this because I'm God and I deserve your very best? And so he says, Elijah, get back to work. And by the way, you thought nothing was working out, but in fact, I've got 7,000 people who've never bowed down to Baal. And you're not alone. You're not alone. You felt alone, but you're not alone. Church, you're not alone. I don't care if you see effort or things happening in your family, the people you've prayed for, or your small groups, or your ministries, or whatever God has called you to. Whatever you see, you may not see it all in your lifetime. You may not see it all right now in front of you. But guess what? God was telling Elijah, Elijah, I'm always working behind the scenes. I may not always show up with fire. I may be in the small whispers behind the hallways, working on your families, working on your marriages, working in your schools, working in your your office buildings, working on those rigs. I still may be doing things that you may not see, and you may have an impact greater than you even know. So stop complaining and get back to work, because I'm God. That's kind of what I get. 
that we're not alone. And God is always working, and He's so gracious to pursue us. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you at the place that you're at in your life with God? Are you where God wants you to be? Are you doing the calling that he wants you to do? Because here's what I gathered out of that. As a pastor looking at that, I'm going to ask the worst team to come. And for Elijah's position, I, I, I have to remind myself, you know what? It's not about me. It's, not, it's all about God. And I can't rely on my own strength to do this Christian life. It's got to be him. And then I just want to speak to the 7,000 people on behalf of all the church leaders in the world today, voluntary and paid. Wouldn't it have been a lot easier for Elijah if those 7,000 people had stood up with him on Mount Carmel <laughs> and he hadn't have been alone calling down fire from heaven? And wouldn't the, the turning point have been different if 7,000 voices had stood behind Elijah on that day when they were standing together calling down fire? And maybe perhaps it would have prevented Elijah's burnout. And I think across America today, pastors are resigning Church members are getting burnt out. Church leaders are quitting because they've got marriages and families and they're people too. And I think sometimes they just feel alone. They feel like they're the only ones carrying their church. The, the, the stat there is that 80% of the church is the sitters and the pew warmers and 20% of the workers. And we lose those 20% all the time across America because they feel alone. I'm going to speak to the 20% and say church workers, church volunteers, it's not about you. You can't do this in your own strength or your own ability. You have to do it in the strength of God. Take care of yourself physically. Receive from the Word. Get in your prayer closet. Know the intimacy of the Holy Spirit to carry the burden for your family, to carry the burden for your church. And then I speak to those who are in the 7,000. You're a holy remnant. You're faithful. You're, you're passionate. You love God. You're not turning to the things of this world, but you're not involved. You're not invested. Don't let the 20% of this church burn out because we sit back and think, well, you know, Elijah's got it. Who could help Elijah? How could I ever stand with Elijah and help him call fire down from heaven? He's an awesome dude. But Elijah's a person. He's got failures. He's got weaknesses. He's got issues. Because we are to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of God. We're one people. And we stand before God. Even in your darkest days, he's going to pursue you take you to that mountain with God and say, I've got a plan for your life. I'm not done with you yet, but the journey's too great. You can't do it by your own strength. Rely on me. Would you bow your heads this morning? I want God to draw us nearer to the intimate place with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, when we were lost and undone, when we were in our desert places, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pursue us. He didn't leave us alone. Jesus Christ came to our wilderness. He died for us to give us that fresh bread, that living water, and restore us back to intimacy with the Father. God is pursuing you today. He's drawing you deeper through His Son, Jesus Christ. I want this moment to be a quiet moment. A moment of soft whispers with the Holy Spirit, that still small voice. And I'm going to ask the worship team to sing this song. And I want you to just rest in God today. Have you been trusting in your own strength or the strength of God? Have you been running for what God is taking you to? Maybe you've left that passion that God has that He wants you to fulfill in your life. Maybe there's things in 
weighting you down and you're really ready to give up. But in this stillness, I want God to speak to you today.